Hey, and welcome to this podcast by Chestnut Mountain Church, located in Flowery Branch, Georgia, where our mission is to saturate the world by making disciples. We invite you to check out our website at chestnutmountain.org and follow us on social on Facebook, Instagram, and Twitter at chestnutmtn underscore to learn more about who we are. There are also video episodes located on our YouTube channel, along with other content not on this podcast. This episode features a sermon replay from Sunday's message. Let's take a listen. Hey, it's going to be a good day. Is is anybody grateful that we get to be in a place where we can worship God freely? Isn't it beautiful that we can come before him in the splendor of his holiness? I'm thinking about how Today marks the beginning of the Holy Week as we prepare for Easter. And when we look back historically at what happened on this week with our Savior marching into Jerusalem and and ultimately marching all the way to the cross and absorbing the wrath of God as a replacement for you and I who have trusted in his sacrifice for the forgiveness of sins. He did that. For you. And we can receive this free gift of grace today. And as we sink uh, back historically into what happens or what happened during this week leading up to this moment that changed history, I've been thinking about that all week. And and Pastor Brian and the team, they're in Cambodia, all the way across the world. You got to see a video at the beginning of this if you were in here in time. I know some of you might not have quite made it just in time for that video, but we uh, we have a whole team, a big team in Cambodia right now sharing the gospel. And we actually had three different churches where we sent three uh, of our team to preach at those three churches. And We got to see people baptized in those churches, and things are already happening. The gospel's already being spread in that part of the world, 12 hours different from us today, ahead of us, actually, and we get to celebrate with them today, and Pastor Brian told me, you could do a... Uh, you could continue our series in John or you could do a standalone. And I really wrestled with that. What should we do today? And I believe that, that God has led me to sink into this historical truth of what happened at this time of the week, not exactly this time of the week, but the beginning of the week, Holy Week, as we prepare for Easter. What a beautiful history we have to look back on and remember, God gives us his word. It's alive and well. So we're gonna go to it today. Luke chapter 19, if you have your Bible. Luke chapter 19, verses 28 through 44. This uh, account is actually in all four of the gospel accounts. Matthew, Mark, Luke, and John wrote of this triumphal entry. When Jesus came into Jerusalem at the beginning of the Holy Week. I'm gonna give you a moment to get there. Luke chapter 19, verses 28 through 44. I'd love to read them, and then I'd love to to pray for our time, and then we can dive in together. Luke chapter 19, it'll be on the screen, verse 28. And when he had said these things, he went on ahead, going up to Jerusalem. And when he drew near to Bethphage and Bethany, At the mount that is called Olivet, he sent two of the disciples, saying, Go into the village in front of you, where on entering you will find a colt tied on which no one has ever sat. 
untie it, bring it here. If anyone asks you, why are you untying it? You shall say this, the Lord has need of it. So those who were sent went away and and found it just as he had told them. No surprise. And as they were untying the colt, its owners said to them, why are you untying the colt? And they said, the Lord has need of it. And they brought it to Jesus. Throwing their coats, throwing their cloaks on the colt, they set Jesus on it. And as he rode along, they spread their cloaks on the road. And as he was drawing near, already on the way down the Mount of Olives, the whole multitude of disciples began to rejoice and praise God with a loud voice for all the mighty works that they had seen, saying, blessed is the king who comes in the name of the Lord. Peace in heaven and glory in the highest. And some of the Pharisees in the crowd said to him, teacher, rebuke your disciples. Jesus answered, I tell you, if these were silent, the very stones would cry out. And when he drew near and saw the city, he wept over it, saying, would that you, even you, had known on this day the things that make for peace. But now they are hidden from your eyes for the days will come upon you when your enemies will set up a barricade around you and surround you and hem you in on every side and they'll tear you down to the ground, you and your children within you and they will not leave one stone upon another in you because you did not know the time of your visitation. Father God in heaven, I ask that you help us by the power of your spirit to hear your word today, I pray that it would fall on fertile soil, that you would begin watering the soil right now, that you would make it soft to receive the word of truth, and we would never leave the same after encountering you. It's in Jesus' name we pray, and everybody said together, amen. The King of kings, the Lord of lords, came into the city of Jerusalem riding on a donkey with a parade around him, marching to his death. This is an uncommon coronation. This is not a normal coronation. This is not a normal uh, crowning of him as king. You know, King Charles III will be coronated as king of England on May the 6th, 2023. It's not long. It's a month from now. They're going to They're going to crown him as king of England. This is a tradition that England has continued for almost a thousand years. And I was fascinated by this history and and what, uh, there's so much history in that part of the world and the way that they do things and they're just, they do it in tradition and, and they do it to the nth degree. They do it so, so very well. And I looked up some facts on Queen Elizabeth's coronation back in 1953. I found this interesting. This was the first televised coronation. Historically, this is the first one in 1953. And 27 million people in the UK watched the ceremony on television. Just just for uh, perspective, there were 36 million people at the time in England. And 27 million of them watched her coronation on TV. There were more than 
2,000 journalists, 500 photographers from 92 nations all over, all over the world that came to see the coronation of Queen Elizabeth all along the route. And on her way, she wore this crown made in 1820, George IV's state diadem. And, and it, it features roses and shamrocks. And listen to this, 1,333 diamonds are in this crown with 169 pearls. I remember shopping for my, my wife's ring and being totally overwhelmed by diamonds, you know? Yeah. A, B, C, D, E, F, G grade. You know, you got to... Do you remember that? How it's, it's the clarity of the diamond and you're paying for every little bit of that clarity and it's like, but, but there, there was the one for, for, my, for my wife. I don't know about y'all. So, you know, some of y'all had like, you know, but I bet you didn't have 1,333 diamonds. This crown that she wore along the route. And then when they get there and they crown her as, king, as, as queen, they, they put on her this, this St. Edward's crown that was made in 1661, and it weighs four pounds, 12 ounces, and it's made out of solid gold. This is what they put on the queen. This, this, this lavish ceremony is very different from the coronation of our king. She rides in on chariots. Our, our king rode in on a, on a donkey. She wears this, this crown of, of gold on her head as everybody looks at her and, and they call her the sovereign. And, and our sovereign king, the one true sovereign king, wore a crown, but the crown would later be of thorns. This is an uncommon coronation. If you're taking notes, you can write that down as our first point today, that our king's coronation was an uncommon coronation. What we refer to as Holy Week began in this way, where Jesus mounted a donkey that had never been ridden, but in, in other gospel accounts, we see that, the, that in this one as well, we see that it was a donkey's colt. And in other gospel accounts, we see that there was a mother donkey there beside her colt, which means that the, the smaller donkey, that her offspring, kind of a teenage donkey, if you will, the younger he rides the, the small donkey, the young donkey that had never been ridden before, almost as if it was prepared for this very moment. Our king, humble in his birth, humble in his coronation, and eventually will be humble in his death. Look back at Luke 19. Let's go over these verses again just to remember. Verse 28, and when he had said these things, he went on ahead going up to Jerusalem. When he, when he drew near these villages, Bethphage and Bethany, at the mount that was called Olivet. So this mountain, you have, to, you have to climb up the route. And then when you get to the top of the mount of Olive, called Olivet, the Mount of Olives, you can see over into the city Jerusalem. That's what's happening here. He, he, this is what's about to happen. He's gonna climb it, but he needed the donkey. So he sent two of his disciples and said, go into the village and, you, and you'll find this donkey tied. And you untie it and you bring it here. And, and if anyone asks, why are you untying it? Just say, the Lord has need of it. You see, Jesus here proving his deity, proving his omniscience, that, that he's all-knowing, that, that he can see things even when he can't see them physically because he is God. He, he's proving here. He says there's going to be a cult 
There's going to be an offspring of a donkey beside its mother. Go and untie it. And, and, and if they ask why you're doing that, because, by the way, this is really close to robbery. So when you get there, they're going to ask you what's going on when you're untying their donkey. Just tell them that the Lord has need of it. Imagine the disciples. Imagine being one of the two disciples that he sent. And coming up to this owner's donkey and, and untying the donkey. And then we're just going to borrow it for a little while. Well, but, but my donkey's never been ridden before. The Lord has need of it. When are you going to bring it back? The Lord has need of it. And we don't see any more explanation. We just see that it happened and it, and it went that way. And, and I wonder if the disciples were pushed to the limit of their faith in this moment. You know, we can, we can, we can relate. They were probably in this moment wondering what's going to happen. Are we sure that it's going to happen this way? But if they remembered Zechariah's prophecy from 500 years before, can I read you this prophecy? Zechariah 9, 9. From 500 years before, rejoice greatly, O daughter of Zion. Shout aloud, O daughter of Jerusalem. Behold, your king is coming to you. Righteous and having salvation is he. Humble and mounted on a donkey, on a colt, the foal of a donkey. Jesus surely knew this prophecy and the disciples might have known it as well, but other parts of scripture make us, lead us to believe that they had forgotten this and it didn't make sense to them until after. They, they didn't put it all together until after, but Jesus certainly knew this prophecy and he was bringing it to pass. He was bringing it to pass just as it said, just as it said 500 years earlier. Jesus was coming in. Our king was coming in, not by human force or reason, but he rode in on the word of God. He rode in confidently on the word of God that had been written hundreds of years before. Let's keep going before I get excited and jump around and off the stage and things. Verse 32, Luke 19. So those who were sent away, so those who were sent went away and found it just as he had told them. Shocker. And as they were untying the colt, its owner said to them, just as he said, why are you untying the colt? And they said, the Lord has need of it. They brought it to Jesus, throwing cloaks on the colt. They set Jesus on it. And, and as he rode along, they spread the cloaks on the road. So get this picture. Jesus is riding on the colt. And, it, and it's not like a big one. It, it's kind of like a little one, you know. And they've, they've made this saddle. It's like a makeshift saddle with the cloaks. And they've laid their cloaks. They're laying their garments on the road before him. And, they, and they're, this is their red carpet, if you will. And it's, it's this whole thing. Just as the word said, it would be, but we can't help but see. Just as the word said in Zechariah 9.9 that our king would come humbly. Our king would come Humbly mounted on a donkey. This is, we, we have to notice our Savior's unexpected humility. We've seen the uncommon coronation. Now we see his unexpected humility. He came first on a donkey. 
he will come again on a white horse. But the Jews wanted him in this moment to come on a white horse. The, the people there, the Pharisees, the Jews that, that have known the, that, that their salvation was coming, they wanted him to come on a horse to ride into battle and overthrow the Roman rule right then. That's what they were wanting. They wanted salvation now. But it wasn't time for Jesus to ride in on a white horse yet. He would come on a donkey. This time was only a visitation. But they rejected his timing. They rejected his plan. They rejected his way. Maybe we can relate to that as well. It's his time. Jesus, it's time now. We're with you. Look at all the people that are screaming your name. It's time now, now, now. Remember, he had just raised Lazarus from the dead not too long before. Actually, in the same chapter of Luke, he, he raised Lazarus from the dead. And we see in that story that, that Lazarus' family was impatient with the Lord's timing. No, if you would have been here, you could have raised him from the dead. We can relate to this impatience. We can relate. And in this moment, the, the people surrounding Jesus are yelling, save us now. You are here. Salvation is here. No general comes to battle on a donkey. No, no, no general leading an army would come to battle on a donkey. He'd be better off on foot than on a donkey. He would be slaughtered on a slow, teenaged, tiny, like think Shrek, you know, donkey. That's what I've been thinking all week as I've been donkey, 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 donkey. You know? You don't ride Shrek's donkey into a battle. You would be slaughtered, but wasn't that the point the whole time for Jesus to come and die. He comes humbly. He comes in meekness. He comes in an uncommon way because it's an unexpected humility. This was a death march. They wanted him to liberate them from Rome, but he came to liberate them from sin. And so he marched in most vulnerably to his death. On a donkey, because this was the way that it had to happen, because death and resurrection, the, the death and resurrection of Jesus is our only hope for life eternally. This was a death march. We have to notice our Savior's humility, because you will not be saved by strength. You will be saved in humility in through weakness. You, you come low before him. You come low like he did and. And you will be saved by his grace, not by your strength. This is the humility of our Savior. Philippians chapter 2, verses 5 through 8. This is my favorite passage of Scripture. And I have 23 favorites, but this is my favorite. Philippians 2, verse 5. Have this mind among yourselves, which is yours in Christ Jesus. Be like Jesus. Have this attitude. 
like Jesus, who, though he was in the form of God, did not count equality with God a thing to be grasped, but emptied himself by taking the form of a servant, being born in the likeness of men and, and being found in human form, he humbled himself by becoming obedient to the point of death, even death on a cross. The road to the cross The road to the cross started by humbly mounting a tiny donkey. 2 Corinthians 9, 8, for you know the grace of our Lord Jesus Christ that though he was rich, yet for your sake he became poor so that you by his poverty might become rich. It's one of those moments where I gave them the wrong reference and so you were reading the wrong scripture verse there. We'll get that one worked out. I think it might have been 2 Corinthians 8, 9 and not 9, 8, but one day I'll learn. For our sake, he became poor so that you by his poverty. You see the exchange. You see how it had to happen this way. He was the only one who could exchange his life. And he became poor so that we might become rich. Rich in what? Rich, rich in crowns, rich in chariots, rich in gold and jewelry. No, rich by grace through faith to inherit the promises, the, the infinite Promises of his glory and kindness to those that love him and are called according to his purposes. So he's riding this donkey. In verse 36 of Luke chapter 19, as he rode along, they spread their cloaks on the road. And as he was drawing near, already on the way down the Mount of Olives, the whole multitude of his disciples began to rejoice and praise God with a loud voice. For all the mighty works that they had seen. And this is what Luke recalled them saying. Blessed is the king who comes in the name of the Lord. Peace in heaven and glory in the highest. Blessed is the king who comes in the name of the Lord. They're, they're shouting it with a loud voice. Like it's master's week, but they weren't shouting like golf clapping. They were shouting with a loud voice. Blessed is he who comes. This is Psalm, 18, Psalm 118, rather, that they were quoting. Blessed is he who comes in the name of the Lord. Announcing who he is. And announcing that there's peace in heaven and glory in the highest. This was a parade of praise. This was a parade of praise. Let's, let's relate just for one moment here. I don't want to spend a whole lot of time here, but I've been impressed even this morning that there are times and seasons and, and long seasons at times where we don't feel or we're not able to throw a parade of praise. It's not that easy, Jared. It's, you don't know what I've been through. You don't know what I've lost. Now, I know he's good, but today it's harder to remember that. And, and I read this quote, and it, was, I, I, it came back to my mind this morning as I was having a conversation in the hallway. This quote is, is from Charles Spurgeon. This is what he says. And yet, I suppose, those disciples had their trials as we have ours. 
Hey, he said, I suppose the disciples that were screaming his praise, they had their own trials. They had their own pain, just like we have ours. There might have been a sick wife at home or a child withering with disease, and yet they still praised. You remember when we sang that song today that we have a choice. Yes, I will. I choose to praise. There are days where we have to choose it. There are days where we don't feel like throwing a parade. But there's something that happens deep inside of us when we do, when we choose it. And we throw our cloaks on the ground before him and we grab those palm branches which represent joy and we wave them because the joy of the Lord is our strength. And I don't feel joyful, but I'm going to choose this until you meet me here because you're worthy and you're do it. Don't think for a second that this is only a story to be read and don't think for a second that these weren't real people going through real things as well. They threw a parade of praise in the middle of their struggles. That's enough of that. Blessed is he who comes in the name of the Lord. The other three gospel accounts include this event as well, and they each reference the crowd shouting, but they used a little bit different language, and they use one word specifically that I love, and I didn't know what it meant for a really, really long time, and maybe you were like me, that you were around church or grew up in church, and there were songs about this word, and you heard it, but for me, I think I was probably 18 before I realized it wasn't like a girl's name, okay? Hosanna. Hosanna, Hosanna, what in the world does that mean? But we're singing it, everybody's excited about it, and people are dancing about it, and Hosanna in the highest. Matthew 21, 9 says the crowd went before him, and they followed him shouting, Hosanna to the son of David. Blessed is he who comes in the name of the Lord, Hosanna in the highest. What does that word mean, Hosanna? In the Hebrew, the word Hosanna meant save now. That's the literal translation. Save now, almost like a plea. A, a, a save please now. Do it now. It was an urgent cry for help. It's how they understood it in the original Hebrew language. But this time, as they speak in Greek here, the, the, or as we're translating in Greek here, the word has come to mean something a little bit different. It, it, it means something different because of what has happened. And in, in Greek, it's more definitive. It's salvation is here. Salvation is here. It's more than just a plea for help. It, it's here. We see it. It's a confident announcement that salvation is here. This is the moment that they had been waiting for. The Messiah had come. And now they're marching through, marching into the city to take back their kingdom from the Romans. Salvation is here. Hosanna, salvation is here. We're taking back what, what is rightfully ours. We're the people of God. And Jesus is on a donkey, and that's kind of weird, but maybe he'll turn it into a horse by the time we're there. Who knows? We've seen him do some crazy things. We're going to take back this. Hosanna. Salvation. You see? Salvation is here. The crowd was ecstatic. They, 
they're, they're full of anticipation. And the crowd was growing from both sides. They were, they were coming from behind. They were coming from in front, from the city. They were, they were rallying around everybody. They, they, they're, they're waiting for what's to come. They're, they're seeing their king, the Lord, ride in, in this processional. And they're rejoicing and praising him with a loud voice. This is the first time that Jesus allowed an open and public declaration of him as Messiah. Other times when the disciples and, and the crowds would try to lift, lift him up and lift his name up and say that he is the Messiah and they would try to rally everybody together around this. Other times Jesus would cut it off and he'd say, no, it's not time. My time has not yet come, but this time, the time had come. And they were parading in with loud voices. And in verse 39 of Luke 19, of Luke 19 we see the Pharisees in the crowd said to him, teacher, rebuke your disciples. Rebuke them, tell them to be quiet. This is blasphemy. They're, they're parading you in as king, as Lord, as the Messiah, the promised one, the sent one of God to save his people. Rebuke them, Jesus, is what the religious elite said. And this is what Jesus said. Let's put this on the screen. Luke 19, verse 40, he answered them. I tell you, if these were silent, the very stones would cry out. It was his response. I, I tell you, if these were silent, the rocks would cry out. If these were silent, turns out that this was not an if, but a when. Because the next time we would hear from this crowd that was excited and loud about his praise, the next time we would hear from them would be on Friday. And they would have very different things coming out of their mouth when they were yelling, crucify him on Friday. Turns out this was not an if. They were silent. It was a win. And it turns out that the rocks would, in fact, cry out because when Jesus was crucified and the darkness covered the earth and the people fell silent, the earth quaked and the rocks cried. This is the scene. Let's keep moving through Luke 19, verse 41. When he drew near and saw the city, he wept over it. He wept over it. When he drew near, they crested the Mount of Olives and, and they looked down at the city and he wept. The term wept there better translates to wailed. He cried loudly. Why? Why did he cry loudly? Because he looked down on the city and he saw the sin and he saw the hypocrisy and he saw the rejection of him and he cried loudly. He wailed over the sin of the city. And this is what he said in verse 42. Would that you, even you, had known on this day the things that make for peace. You, you think we're going into the city to annihilate the Roman government. You think that we're going to make peace in this way, but if you would have known the things that make for peace, if you would have known that there's a greater peace that I'm fighting for, if you would have known 
the things that make for peace. If you would have known that I have to come humbly on a donkey to march to my execution so that I can bear the sins of many. If you would have known that peace is made by the blood of my cross and only. If you would have known that I am the way, the truth, in the life, and no one comes to the Father except through me. If you would have known the things that made for peace, if you would have known that the peace you need is peace with God, not peace with Rome. If you would have known the things that make for peace, but now they are hidden from your eyes. Verse 43, for the days will come upon you when your enemies will set up a barricade around you and surround you and hem you in on every side. This, he's, he's talking of what's going to happen to Jerusalem. They tear down the, they'll tear you down to the ground and you and your children within you and they will not leave one stone upon another in you because you did not know the time of your visitation. Jesus here is showing us Right in one moment here, he's, he's showing us his full deity and his full humanity. He, he was fully God and fully man, and there was no separating that. You could see it. It was all him. In this moment, you see him weeping over sin, showing emotion, and also prophesying and seeing what's to come because he's God. He knew it had to be this way. And we see his love here because God is love. And we see that this love is unhindered, that he is weeping loudly. That's the third thing I want to give you today, that our, our Savior's love is unhindered. And we see him weeping loudly as he looks upon the city and their sin. He's seeing John 1, verse 10, right before his eyes, John 1, 10 says this, he was in the world and the world was, not, was made through him, yet the world did not know him. Verse 11, he came to his own and his own people did not receive him. He's seeing it. They're rejecting him. They, they did not know the time of their visitation, that their, that their Savior was here. We see the father's heart through the tears of his son. Jesus knew the wrath was coming. He knew it. He knew it had to be this way. He knew that the people did not receive him as Savior and Lord. And they were going to be, there was going to be wrath because of that against sin. They didn't recognize the time of their visitation. God is love and God is righteous. He will judge sin severely. And, and he has, he has, hear me, through the torture of his own son in your place and mine. He has judged sin severely because he is love and he is righteous. John 3, 16, you know it, but I'm going to keep reading further. For God so loved the world that he gave his only son that whosoever believes in him should not perish but have eternal life. For God did not send his son into the world to condemn the world, but in order that the world might be saved through him. Whoever believes in him is not condemned, but whoever does not believe is condemned already because he has not believed in the name of the only son of God. And this is the judgment. The light has come into the world. People love the darkness rather than the light because their works were evil. 
For everyone who does wicked things hates the light, does not come to the light, lest his works should be exposed. But whoever does what is true comes to the light so that it may be clearly seen that his works have been carried out in God. Jesus came to save. There will be wrath. There will be punishment on sin. There will be punishment on those who are walking in darkness who have not come into the light, who have not trusted in Jesus for salvation. Jesus wept. He showed us the Father's heart in this moment, unhindered love, because they didn't recognize the time of their visitation. My question for you today Will you recognize the time of your visitation? Will you recognize? Will you recognize that Jesus is here? That he is alive and he's ever present and, he, and he's here. This is a time of visitation. We come here to meet with the King of Kings and the Lord of Lords. Will you recognize it? Salvation is no longer coming, as they said in Hebrew, save please, save now. Salvation is here. Salvation is definitive. It is final because on the cross, he paid the final price. He died once and for all. Final, complete, total. His sacrifice cannot be added to. Salvation is here and his name is Jesus. John chapter 1, verse 12. But to all who did receive him, who believed in his name, he gave the right to become children of God, who were born, not of blood, nor of the will of the flesh, nor of the will of man, but of God. Born. You see, this isn't about maintaining a resume. This isn't about stacking up accomplishments and, and proving that you can look the part, sound the part, do the part. This is about being reborn. It starts with recognizing that he's here and recognizing who he is and, and falling in humility, coming low before him and, and crying out to him as Savior and Lord and being transformed from the inside. Being reborn, regenerated, re given a new heart. This is it. Ha have you been born of God? Are you a child of God? Have you been born? Are, are you reborn today? A new creation? And if you have, then it's time to pick up the palm branches. Remember, they represent joy and rejoice that your king is here. And he's coming back again to rejoice and, and to show the world that the joy of the Lord is our strength. We wave them and we put them on the ground so he can walk on them. And we parade him down the road and into the restaurants and into the, the homes and the living rooms and, and the street corners and, and the woods and, and, and across the world in Cambodia. We parade him. Our Savior is here. Salvation is here. Today is the day because of Jesus.
But if you haven't been reborn, can I tell you, it's not complicated. It may be hard, but it's not complicated. If you haven't been reborn, the invitation is on the table today to just come. Come to him. As he's drawing you in, come to him. Surrender. Open up your heart to him and say, I am a sinner in need of a savior. I am repenting of my sin. I'm turning to follow you. It's not complicated. It's hard. It's a sacrifice. You should count the cost. But if he's drawing you in today, don't ignore it. Recognize the visitation. Fall into his arms. Repent and believe for the forgiveness of sins today. We've seen our Savior's uncommon coronation. We've seen our Savior's unexpected humility. We've seen our Savior's unhindered love. And we look forward to our Savior's unbridled victory. His unbridled victory. It was a makeshift saddle on the little bitty donkey. But he's going to be riding again on a white horse. His first coronation was on a colt. His second will be on a great white horse with a train behind him. And they're coming back. He's coming back, leading the army. And it will be final and everything will be made perfect when he rides in. Look at Revelation 19, verses 11 through 16. And we're going to read this as we come to a close today. This is our Savior's unbridled victory. This is what we have to look forward to. Revelation 19, starting in verse 11. I think it'll be on the screen. Would you stand with me as we read God's word this morning? This is our victory in Christ. John is writing, the apostle John, and he's writing, Then I saw heaven opened, and behold, a white horse the one sitting on it is called Faithful and True, capital F, capital T. That's our King, King Jesus, faithful and true, riding on this horse. And in righteousness, he judges and makes war. His eyes are like a flame of fire, and on his head are many diadems, a crown, a crown that bursts with brilliance and beauty. Way beyond Queen Elizabeth in 1953, the diadem on his head is shining and he has a name written that no one knows but himself. He is clothed in a robe dipped in blood and the name by which he is called is the Word of God, riding in on the Word of God and the armies of heaven arrayed in fine linen, white and pure, were following him on white horses and from his mouth comes a sharp sword with which to strike down the nations. From his mouth, the Word of God, the sharp sword will come to strike down the nations and he will rule them with a rod of iron. He will rule them with a rod that cannot be bent. He will rule them with strength and certainty. And he will tread the winepress of the fury of the wrath of God the Almighty. He will tread this wrath. He will assume and absorb this wrath. He has. And on his robe and on his thigh, he has the name written, King of Kings and Lord of Lords. And God, we are here to celebrate you today because you are King of Kings and Lord of Lords, the bright morning star. And you 
have no rival in this place. You have no equal. And now and forever you will reign. And we will give you all the glory and all the honor is due to you. You will come back again. We look forward to that day. And we're grateful for what you're going to bring. Because it will be final. And it will be forever. And you are faithful and true. You have no rival. You have no equal. God, you will reign forever. Thank you so much for listening to this episode. If you made a decision or if you have any questions about salvation or anything about this Christian journey, one of our pastors would love to connect with you. So to connect and find out what your next steps are, go to our website at chestnutmountain.org slash steps, and there will be a form for you to fill out so one of our pastors can connect with you. We also want you to do three things right now. Number one, leave a review on this podcast. Tell us what you think. And also, a review allows us to reach even more people. Number two, subscribe to this podcast if you haven't already so you don't miss an episode during the week. And number three, we want you to go check out our Chestnut Mountain Church YouTube channel. So maybe there's some visuals in this episode that you couldn't see but wanted to see. And that's why we have video versions of these episodes along with other content not featured on this podcast right now on our YouTube channel. Lastly, we invite you to join us live for worship on Sunday mornings in person at 9 o'clock or 1045 a.m. Eastern Standard Time or online at 1045 as well. Learn more about us on our website at chestnutmountain.org. And don't forget to follow us on social at chestnutmtn underscore for more encouragement and to see all what God is doing in and through CMC. We love you, we're praying for you, and we'll see you next time.